Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. Blessings to you. Amen. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Everybody doing well? Good. Uh, I'm excited. I love second services. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm choosing to believe that this is true. I love second services because people who come to the second service don't want to have a time pressure like first service does, right? You guys just want to spend all day in the presence of God, right? Right? Okay, good. I mean, if it's not true, then uh, I'm just going to choose for it to be true, amen? Uh, excited to be here, excited to be back with you guys. You know, anytime I get an opportunity to minister in Baltimore or the Baltimore area, I'm like super excited. I'm a Baltimore on myself. I grew up around here and just love being able to come back home and get to just be with God's people in Baltimore. Amen? Uh, great church. You guys are part of a great church. Uh, when I posted, like, hey, I'm going to be at Easter, and it was like, I have a, a network of uh, evangelists, a network of friends, and all of them just kept commenting on, great church, great pastor, great church, great pastor, great church, great pastor, great church, great pastor. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and it's true. It's a great church, and you guys have great pastors. You know, th- this morning I came in when I got here. First thing, I went to pastor's office to just check in and say, hey, I'm here. And uh, he was in there praying down heaven. And so I was like, you know, let me just wait a minute. So uh, how many of you guys are thankful for pastors that pray, pastors who love the community? Come on, give it up for your pastors. They're amazing people. Great, glad that this time around I get to spend some time w- with you all. Um, so yeah, anyway, glad to be here with you. As he said, my name is Mike. I'm an evangelist. Uh, my family and I travel. Uh, we have been doing this full time for about a year and a half now. We've seen God do some some pretty amazing things in the short amount of time uh, that we've been traveling. Just this past year, we were in uh, seven different states. We did like almost 75 services, which is a lot of services. Uh, let's see, hundreds of people gave their lives to Jesus. I just got back from two weeks in Zimbabwe where we saw God just meet a lot of people in some pretty cool ways. And so it's been a great privilege to get to do this and to travel and uh, for churches like this to open up uh, to our ministry. And uh, like I said, we most of the time we travel as a family. My wife is not with me today. She is serving and ministering at our home church, which is in Frederick, Maryland. We just moved there back in July, and it's been a, a bit of a change for us because we're, we we came from like the Bowie area, PG County. And so it's been good. But I got a picture. I want to introduce you to my family. They're coming here. Everybody say, oh, thank you very much. Uh, let me introduce them to you. The one that my wife is holding, his name is Alessio. Say Alessio. Louis. Namdi. Baralato. What's his name? That's exactly how you're supposed to take notes in church, y'all. Take, get your notebooks out. Uh, Alessio, he's a lot of fun. I call him my Sour Patch Kid because first he's like really, really sour. But once you break through that, he's really, really sweet. He's a bully, but I feel like God is going to use that for his glory. Say amen. God's going to do it. Pray for him. Pray for me. Uh, we, we were really deceived after our first child because uh, then he came around. It was like, I don't know what was going on. So anyway, we're learning how to, how to parent him because he's very much different than my other child, my other one who I am holding uh, with all of the hair. Her name is Ayala. Say Ayala. Rema. Adeze. Baralato. What's her name? Ayala. 
We got one out of four. That's definitely failing still, but 25% is better than 0%. Uh, well done. Uh, the, the sad part about that is you guys all knew it was coming too, right? Anyway, Ayala, she's a lot of fun. She's a great joy. Her name actually means whirlwind. So if you're looking uh, for a new name for your kid or looking to name a new child coming into this world, I would suggest a name like Peace or Tranquility, like one of these names, you know, just like let's just keep things even here. Uh, but anyway, yeah, she, she's a lot of fun. She, she's pretty amazing. I'm really proud of her. Uh, can I brag on her just really quickly? Is that okay? It's okay to brag on your kids, right? All right, so a couple weeks before Christmas, she, she was talking to her teacher. She asked her teacher what church she went to, and her teacher said that she didn't go to church. And so my daughter's response was, well, Jesus is coming back, so you better get to church. <laughs> Amen? Because Jesus is coming back. <laughs> uh, so, like, she's like a little evangelist at heart, so that, that really gets me. She, she's great. Uh, but let's be real. In a couple years, they're out of here, and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to be glad when that day comes. Uh, love them. And it's just going to be me and my wife, the one that really matters here. Her name is Shari. Everybody say Shari. Not going to give you the rest of her name because she's going to watch this service, and then she would kill me. But Shari and I have been married almost seven years. We actually met serving in church together. She was on staff at our former uh, home church. She was there for about 12 years and served a couple years as a uh, missionary to Spain, uh, working with an organization called Project Rescue, which serves women who have uh, been rescued out of human trafficking. And so anyway, she was there uh, working at the church. I came to the church newly saved at the time, and I knew I was, had felt this call to ministry, and so I just connected with the church. I was like, hey, can I come intern at the church? And uh, so she was on staff, and I was an intern. I was working for free. So if you're trying to find your spouse, send pastor an email. Say, hey, I'm going to come work for free. All right? It, it could work for you. It works for me. We have a healthy marriage. It's good. We love each other. We have great, you know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. Just think about it. So we met at church, served there, it was really quickly, got married, and uh, man, we've just been trying to do our best to raise our kids, do our best to answer the call of God's in our lives and enjoy each other. Uh, she's not here with me today, but she's been sending me text messages. She's with us in spirit. She's praying for us. She's been praying for you guys all week, and uh, sorry she couldn't make it. But yeah, that, that's our family, a little bit about our ministry. Uh, you know, my life wasn't always like that, traveling, telling people about Jesus, a beautiful wife and kids and all that great stuff. A lot, of, uh, a lot of my life was very, very different. My life looked very, very different. I personally looked very different. I think I have a picture of what I used to look like coming up here in just a second. There I am. Isn't he uh, a, a, a handsome young lad there? That's not somebody you want to meet in a dark alley. Uh, yeah, so, so that's me. Uh, that picture was probably taken maybe about 11 years ago. I was maybe six years into a full-blown heroin addiction at this time. My life was completely out of control. Everything that you can imagine that goes with that lifestyle, convicted felon, in and out of jail, diseased from dirty needles, the whole thing, that was my reality, homeless. And one day I met a man named Jesus and everything changed, amen? So I was living in Florida at the time, and by a, a series of God-ordained events, I had just come off of a, an overdose, a failed suicide attempt overdose, and ended up in a teen challenge center in Fort Myers, Florida. Have you ever, anybody ever heard of teen challenge in here? Wave at me. 
So I ended up in Teen Challenge. I know nothing about God. I wasn't raised in the church. I, you know, I had family members who were Christians, but I was never really in the Christian world. I never understood the Bible. I never read the Bible before. I didn't really know who Jesus was. But I ended up in a Teen Challenge Center, and I'm there about a week and a half into the program. It was a Tuesday night. The guy was preaching. Couldn't tell you what he was preaching about, but what I can tell you is that that night, the power of God touched me. And I was like instantly delivered of my heroin addiction on the spots to the glory of God. Amen. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, what, what just happened? Like, what is going on? The next day I woke up, it was a Wednesday morning, and at Teen Challenge, they make you read your Bible. Because how many know it's a good thing to read your Bible, right? So they make you read your Bible. I have nothing, no understanding of the Bible. The guy sitting next to me says, hey, I think you need to read the book of Romans. And I don't know that the book of Romans is in the Bible. So he shows me how to get there. And when he said Romans, I was like, all right, I'm Italian. How you doing? How you been? You know what I'm saying? So I read the book of Romans. And I wonder if God would have, if he would have said, read the book of Hebrews, if I'd have been like, nah, I ain't doing it. But you know how God just knows how he needs to work with us, right? So I read the book of Romans. The first thing it says is that the gospel is the power to save sinners. It goes on to talk about how the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse a guilty conscience. Come on, I was trapped by the needle and the heroin. I was equally as trapped by the guilt of the bad decisions I had made, of the people that I had hurt, the decisions that I had done, the things I had done. And then it goes on to say, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so when I saw the gospels of power, I saw that I could have forgiveness of sins, a clean conscience, if I would give my life to Jesus, that's what I did that Wednesday. I had an encounter on Tuesday night with the power of God, which delivered me. Wednesday morning, I read the word of God where I could understand what was beginning to happen in my life. I gave my life to Jesus. That was 10 years ago, February 6th, so almost 10 years to the glory of God. Amen. And let me just say this. It wasn't just me who God set free. My mom now has six years clean. My brother now has four years clean. My uncle's got like two years clean. This thing has changed. Jesus has changed my whole family. My whole family. I was in a service like this about a year ago. I put this picture up, and my daughter leaned over to my wife and said, who is that sad man on the screen? She didn't know that that was me. That's the type of God that we serve. He can make all things new. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And it just takes one. I share all that just as not to say like, oh, it's encouraging, I hope. But I just feel like maybe in this room, somebody needs to, it just needs to end with somebody. Like your family's been going through it for years. Your family, and maybe not just addiction. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe whatever it is for you. I'm just here to tell you that the power of God is strong enough not just to change you, but to change the whole future of your family. Say amen. Because that's the God that we serve. That's what he wants for you, and that's what he wants for your legacy is freedom and wholeness in him. So it was a Tuesday night that I had an encounter with the Spirit of God, and it was Wednesday morning where I had an encounter with the Word of God. But, but let me say this. It's been 10 years of encounters in this Word of God that has kept me free. Come on. Your deliverance is only as good as your discipline. That's why somebody can have an encounter with God and two weeks later need the same encounter with God that they had two weeks ago. Was God's power not strong enough the first time to set them free? Of course it was. But what we didn't do is put the discipline of the word of God in our lives. This thing right here will keep you longer than you could imagine. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And if you're excited to get into the word of God, say amen. 
I'm going to share really briefly this morning with you about something that I that just burns in my heart. I don't think I'll ever be able to uh, just release it until I, I see it and walk in it fully and see those around me uh, walking in it. So we're going to be in Isaiah 64, and then we'll, we'll jump around a little bit today. But uh, to kind of set it up, I want to share a story with you that I read, and it was uh, pretty convicting to me. But it was a story much like a, a church like this. It was a great church. They were doing great things. Uh, reaching, restoring, serving, all of those things that a good church is supposed to do. And uh, one night, something terrible happened. The church burned to the ground. It was an electrical fire. The church caught on fire, and the whole community begins to come out, and they begin to watch this church burn to the ground. There's a, a young girl who's in the youth group at the church. She's there, and she's crying, and she looks across the parking lot, and she sees one of her classmates, somebody that she went to school with, is out there as well. And <clears throat> she walks across the parking lot and just says, hey, you know, uh, it, it's crazy. I've, I've invited you to my church before, but you've never come, and now here it is. It's, it's burning down, and, and now, now you're here. And uh, the, the classmates' response was this. Your church has never been on fire before. Your church has never been on fire before. Now, when I read that, I didn't think of Eastern, obviously. I didn't think of my home church. I thought about my own life. Come on, how many know the fire of God is contagious? When somebody's burning hot for Jesus, don't you just want to watch them burn? Don't you just want to just be like them and be around them and spend time with them? And so when I read that story, I was like, God, is my life on fire for you? Because if my life is not on fire for you, I can't expect my kids' lives to be on fire for you. I can't expect the people that I encounter on the streets to be on fire for you if I'm not burning hot for you. And so today, I want to talk to you briefly about this idea of personal revival. How many of you would say that your city needs revival? Come on, how many of you, your city needs a move of God, right? Baltimore needs a move of God, doesn't it? How many know Maryland needs a move of God? The East Coast needs a move of God, does it not? This nation needs a move of God. Let me say this. Moves of God start with individuals. Come on. You need to get the fire of God before the church gets the fire of God, before the community gets the fire of God, before the city gets the fire. Come on. It's a personal thing. It starts with one. God is a God of the one. If you did not know that, God is all about the one. He's all about the individual, and so he wants every single one of us in this room to walk in this place of personal revival, burning hot for Jesus, burning bright for Jesus, so that those around us could be affected by the fire that is inside of us. And you might be wondering, hey, what is he talking about, personal revival? I know that word revival gets thrown around quite a lot, so I want to give you my definition of revival, the one that I like to use, and then we're going to look at a, a passage in Isaiah 64 that talks about, but my definition of revival is this. It's a sustained, somebody say sustained. In other words, it doesn't stop after the service tonight. It doesn't stop when the evangelist leaves town. It doesn't, it doesn't just stop in a week. It doesn't stop in three days. It doesn't stop if the Ravens lose their first playoff game. Although that would be really tragic, wouldn't it? That would be awful. Anyway, coming back, I'm coming back. It's a sustain. It's a continual thing. God doesn't want you to burn hot for him for a week. God doesn't want you to burn hot for him for two weeks. God wants you to live in this place and this space of being on fire for him. If you believe that, say amen. So it's a sustain 
first manifest presence of God. We know the theology. Many of us probably know the theology. There's a term that we use that says God is omnipresent, which means he is all places at all times, right? So that's, that's the theology. That's how God operates. But at the same time, if you look in the scriptures, if you look in uh, church history, there were times where the presence of God was very real, where it was very close, where it's very tangible. When I got set free in an instant, it was because the power, the tangible presence of God changed me. It was near and it was close. And that's the space that God wants you to continually walk in, in the power and the authority and the manifest presence of God. If you believe that, say amen. And when you're doing that, it will bring change and transformation. So revival is a sustained, manifest presence of God, which brings change and transformation. So if you are in this place of personal revival, which I'm believing all of us are going to step into today and this week and the upcoming weeks, you should begin to be, you should be being changed and transformed. So if you're not loving like Jesus more, you're probably not in personal revival. If you're not giving more like Jesus, you're probably not in personal revival. If you're not serving more like Jesus and loving, you're probably not in personal revival because when you're walking in the manifest presence of God, some things should begin to change. The people around you should begin to be changed and transformed as well. How many of you are hungry for a sustained manifest presence of God in your life? That's a good thing because God responds to hunger. God responds to desperation. This isn't going to happen to you by accident. This is going to say, I'm making a decision to go after this. I'm making a decision to pursue this. This is going to be my new reality. We talk about what's the new reality, right? What's the new normal? This is your new normal. The manifest presence of God. Say amen. Isaiah 64 spells it out a little greater detail than I just gave it to you. It starts out by saying this. It says, oh, that one of you would rend the heavens and come down. Now, when I read that, that oh, I, I don't. I don't assume, I don't think that Isaiah was just really passive about this. I think he was more like, a, like, oh, God, if you don't come down, nothing's going to happen. Oh, God, if you don't show up, nothing is going to happen. I don't think it was like, oh, God, could you, just, uh, could you just help me pay the bill this week? Could you, just, could you just help me have a good service? Could you just help me get through this? No, I think there was like a desperation in his voice. Come on, we need that desperation. He says, oh God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Make your manifest presence here. Rend the heavens, come down. So that the mountains would tremble before you. So when you get that oh in your spirit, when God rends the heavens and comes down, it says that the mountains would tremble before you. Mountains are almost always symbolic uh, of an impossible situation, of a, of a difficulty, of a challenge, right? And he's saying when you're walking in the manifest presence of God, the things that were challenging to you, the impossible situations now become possible. Some of your translations say that the mountains would melt. In other words, it was hard and difficult, it just became easy. How many know in the presence and the power of God, the things that were difficult can become easy for you? Come on. That's what he's expecting all of us to walk in and to enter in. So he says, oh, rend the heavens, come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. He says, when you set when fire sets twigs ablaze. So when God comes down, he not only shakes the mountains up, makes difficult and impossible situations possible, it says that he sets twigs ablaze. Now think about that. What is a twig? A twig is a branch that got separated from the vine, is it not? It's a dead thing. 
It's something that's not producing fruit. It's something that was supposed to produce fruit, but it got set apart, cut apart, and now it's not producing fruit. And so in our lives, these are the areas of sin. These are the areas of compromise. When you're walking in personal revival, there's no longer space for the things that don't produce fruit in your life. Come on, the fruit that, that God desires, that, that's fruit of the Spirit. There's things that God wants all of us to... to uh, to not manifest isn't the right word, but to cultivate in our lives. And when you're in personal revival, the things that aren't contributing to that get burned away. It says that, and it goes on to say, and it causes water to boil. And I can't help but think of uh, the words of Jesus here. Jesus said what? If you are lukewarm, I will spew you out. Come on. There's no longer a place or a season or a time for apathetic Christianity. Come on, there's no longer a space. If you want personal revival, if you want everything I'm talking about right here, we cannot be apathetic about the things of God. We got to make decisions and be passionate and pursue the things of God. We just can't take the things of God for granted any longer. Man, we are in a desperate season, are we not? Come on, your city needs Jesus. And it's a desperate situation. So we have to be pursuing and passionate. We can't just treat our quiet time as optional any longer. Come on, we can't treat our Bible reading as optional. And we can't treat serving as optional anymore if this is your goal. And I pray that this is our goal for all of us in this room. So he says, he causes water to boil and then come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Let me, let me remind you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So our enemy is not our co-worker. Our enemy is not some politician somewhere. Our enemy is not that. Our enemies are spiritual principalities. That's what we wrestle against. That's what we war against. And he's saying when you're in this manifest presence of God, your enemies will know his name. So when you don't have enough, when you're fighting lack and, and, and lack of, of resource and all that, the name of Jaira, come on, will be known. Jaira is my provider, right? Come on. When you have sickness in your body, the name of Jehovah Rapha, who is my healer, will show himself mighty and heal, correct? When you're depressed and you can't get out of bed and you're fighting anxiety, you have this overwhelming uh, sense of doom and fear. Jehovah Nisi, who is my banner, my victory, come on, we'll, we'll make his name known. And so, and, and right now, let me just pray for you. I think in this room, even right now, there's people who are in that space, especially coming out of the holiday season where you feel overwhelmed, where you feel like you can't, you can't even get enough energy to get up and get going in the morning. You feel defeated. And so I just want to pray right now. Can everybody just lift your hands with me? I want to pray for you. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we break that off of every individual's heart and mind now in Jesus' name, God. You said that we have the mind of Christ, God. So I speak and declare the mind of Christ. Christ over every individual. Jesus, you went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, God. So Jesus, move in this room, healing all who are oppressed by the devil now, God. Let it lift in the name of Jesus as they walk out of this place today, Lord. There's going to be a lightness in their spirit in Jesus' name. Say amen. Come on. When we're in the manifest presence of God, the enemies will know his name. Come on. At that name, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. This is where personal revival gets tricky for some of us. He goes on to say, for when you did things that we did not expect you to do. How many of you know sometimes God's plan isn't my plan? 
Sometimes God says some crazy stuff, doesn't he? Has God ever told you something crazy before? Yeah, me too. So sometimes when you're in this place of personal revival, what begins to happen is you get so concerned about the things of God and so concerned about God, then you can actually open up your ear to what the Spirit is telling you to do, and it's something that you probably didn't expect him to do. My wife and I found this lesson out a hard way about two years ago. We really sensed that God was calling us to, calling me to quit my job. I was a youth pastor at a pretty great church not too far from here, and God was doing great things. It was growing in numbers. It was growing. The students were growing growing in, in their spirituality. We had kids who were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and getting healed, like divine healing was happening in the ministry. And then God was just like, okay, you're going to quit. I was like, okay, that wasn't really part of the plan, God. That wasn't part of the plan, but I'll do it, but I'll do it. So I said, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. And about a week and a half later, I was praying. I felt like God was like, no, 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 you didn't really understand me. When I said you were going to quit your job, I meant you're both going to quit your job because the two become one, and you're both going to travel. And I was like, oh, well, that's very, very different. And so I went to my wife, and I told her what I felt like God was saying. At first, she was like, oh, that's so great. And then she was like, wait, hold up. You're not going to have no job, and I'm not going to have no job, and we got a baby on the way. I was like, yeah, I know. It's crazy, right? I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> but let me just stand here and tell you, God is faithful. God is faithful. Once I was young, now I'm old. Never once have I seen the righteous forsaken. Or his seed begging for bread. Come on, God is faithful. He's going to expect some things from you that you didn't expect from him. And let me just stand here and tell you, he's going to see you through it. He's going to see you through to the other side. Isaiah wraps up his thought with this. He says, you came down and the mountains trembled. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, and no eye has seen any God beside you. And they never will. Say Amen who acts on behalf of those who wait for him, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. This is not, in my opinion, this is not, I'm going to sit around and eat burger cookies waiting, okay? Right? This is not that type of waiting. He's saying, look, there's an active waiting that I believe God is saying here. Whenever God wants to do something big and mighty, whenever God wants to do anything, actually, you know what it takes? Partnership. I don't know why God ordained it that way. It would be a lot better if God would just go and do stuff for us. But that isn't really the way that God operates, right? That's why God said, you go into all of the world, right? You go reach the people. You go restore them. You go serve them, correct? Because God's a God of partnership. So if we're expecting this place of personal arrival to happen, he's not saying, oh, just wait until I show up and do it. No, he's saying partner with me as it's coming. Believe in faith that it's coming to you. And while you're waiting, let's do some things. I believe there's two things that God wants each and every one of us in this room to do as if we are believing to walk in this manifest presence of God. The first one is this, extravagant worship. Somebody say extravagant worship. When I say extravagant worship, I'm not talking about, so I throw up my hands and praise you again. And now you know why I'm a preacher, right? And I don't sing, right? Come on. I'm not talking about that kind of worship. That kind of worship is great. We need that corporate worship. We need that in our private time with God. We need to, to sing praises and adorations, enter his gates with, with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, right? Like that's an important part of, of the formula here. But that's not the worship that I'm talking about. The worship that I'm talking about is where Romans 12 says, is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your holy and acceptable form of worship. Worship. 
The way that we live our lives is actually our worship to God. And let me just say this. It actually speaks a whole lot louder than how well you can sing or throw your hands up on a church on a Sunday morning. Come on. The way we live our lives is our worship for God, and we should be living it extravagantly without holding anything from him. There's a story in the Bible of a woman who lived her life extravagantly for Jesus. The Bible says in Mark 14, I don't have time to to read the whole thing. But let me break it down for you. Mark 14, a woman comes to Jesus, and the Bible says in verse 3, a woman came with an alabaster jar of cheap perfume, of convenient perfume, of if it fits in my schedule, I'll show up one week, one day out of the week. I'll go to CVS, and I'll buy some of the cheap cologne perfume. No, he says... A very expensive, it was extravagant, it cost her something. Let me just say this, following Jesus should cost you something. Too too many times we make following Jesus just about coming on a Sunday morning, that was it. Like, no, living your life extravagantly for Jesus is not just going to cost you something, it's going to cost you everything. If it costs Jesus everything to redeem us, why wouldn't it cost us everything to live for him? Right? If you seek to follow me... Let him take up his cross, deny himself daily, follow me, correct? Come on. It says that she came with a very expensive perfume. Verse 4 says, some of those present were saying indignantly. That's not a good thing. They were giving her a hard time. Hey, why would you be so wasteful? Why would you be so radical? And some of you are going to start to make decisions starting today that look crazy, that look radical, that the people around you are going to be like, you're doing way too much. Why can't you just go to church and love Jesus and still hit the club with me? Why can't you just go to church, do your thing, and still do our thing together? Why can't we still live together even though you're going to church? Like Those types of decisions that you're going to make, to to align your life and live extravagantly for Jesus, people aren't going to get it. When we said, you know what, we're going to quit our jobs and travel as evangelists, I had family members who said I was crazy and irresponsible, that I was being reckless with my family. I had church members who were trying to talk us out of it, and I don't say that to, like, say, look, look, we're great. We're not great in any way. Trust me, come to my house. I probably got dirty dishes in the sink. Trust me, we're not great. But the Jesus inside of us is, Amen. Come on, there's going to be people who try to talk you out of living a radical life for Jesus, and you need to silence those voices. Some of you have pulled back in your pursuit of God because you've had people speaking things over you saying, you're doing too much, you're doing the most, chill out, do you, right? I mean, that's happened. Some of you have had dreams to God that God has given you, start businesses, do ministry opportunities, maybe even missions in this room, and people have said, no, it's going to cost you too much, no, you can't do that. And I'm just here to tell you, answer the call of God on your life. Answer the call of God on your life. I don't know why, but in this room, I feel like some people have stepped aside from the mission that God has placed on their life to seek and save. That was Jesus' mission, but it's your mission as well. Seek and save that which is lost. And some of you have pulled away the dream that God has given you for that. And I just want to like bring life and breathe life back into that. That's a God dream. And you need to come speak to pastor, and you need to figure out how you're going to get that ball rolling again. Say amen. But at the same time, we'll have haters... We're actually, look what Jesus says here. We're actually going to have the flip, flip, flip side of that coin. Verse 9 says, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. So not only do we have haters, what you do with your life will encourage the people that are coming behind you. Come on, if we want our kids to have a better life than us, we better start to model what a better life looks like. Hello. Hello. 
Right? Well, you can't take people somewhere you've never been, correct? And so here we are 2,000 years later. I'm telling you and encouraging you of a story of a woman who lived her life extravagantly for Jesus. Think about this. If Jesus doesn't come back in the next 2,000 years, why would God not use your story to be written down in church history books where 2,000 years from now they're reading your story of your extravagant act of worship for God and it's encouraging them? I read church history books all the time. I love seeing what God has done in individuals' lives because it gives me hope. It gives me a passion. It gives me a drive. When I get down and depressed, I can be like, no, God used this guy and he's jacked up. Hello? And it can be the same thing for you. God wants to use your story in a crazy way to encourage others. It won't happen if you don't live your life extravagantly for Jesus. Then you're just another status quo Christian. We got to be done with status quo Christians. We have an epidemic in America of Christians by title, but not actually Christians by deed. And that needs to stop. Amen? So... First one was this, extravagant worship. The second one is this, I'm going to talk fast. Every time I go to the South, they tell me that I need to slow down when I talk. My answer is always this, you need to listen faster. Right? I think I talk just fine. I talk fine, right? Thank you. But I'm about to pick it up a little bit just because of the sake of time. The second thing we need is this, desperate prayers. Somebody say desperate prayers. Here's what I know about prayer. Prayer is a mature choice of the will. It's like going to the gym. You have to make a decision. I'm doing this. Like, I don't feel like it today, but guess what? I'm going anyway. I don't feel like it tonight. Guess what? I'm going anyway. I want to eat a burger cookie. Guess what? I'm going to eat some, uh, what'd you say? Spaghetti squash or zucchini squash? What'd you say? Squash, whatever, whatever we're talking about this morning. Come on. I want to do this. But what I'm going to do is discipline myself to do for something greater, something that is worth so much more. And that's the reality when it comes to prayer. There's some of you in this room who I don't like very much because you're those people who can just pray for an hour and not even think about it, not even break a sweat. Some of y'all just have that grace on your life. You can just pray and pray and pray and pray and pray. The majority of people in this room are not that, though. The majority of people in this room are like me, where I have to make a decision to say, you know what? I'm praying right now. And you know what? I'm not going to stop praying until I've done praying. And what happens is I'll start to pray, and the first five minutes, it's literally like I'm talking to a wall. Maybe the first ten minutes, it's like I'm talking to this wall over here, and I, have, I don't really have much inspiration. But what I do is I make a mature choice of my will to continue to pray, and then what begins to happen is somehow I end up breaking through that wall, and then it becomes to be just a flow. It becomes a little bit, a little bit easier. Does it make sense? And I think the reality is a lot of us in this room have never devoted enough, like, desperation, enough uh, discipline, enough... Uh, really just like will to to push through that point so you don't know just the the great power in your prayer once you break through and just the great joy that you get out of being able to just flow with the spirit and pray and so I just want to encourage all of you if you're like that and you're you're hearing me talking you're saying that's me that's me that's me that's me press through a little bit longer Come on, press through a little bit longer. I didn't say this last service, but sometimes for me, I I like to have a list because I just think that way. And then what begins to happen is I'll start with the list and I'll go through it. And then finally I'll hit that, that kind of breakthrough point that I'm talking about and then I don't need the list anymore. But the list helps me stay focused until I get to that point. Does that make sense? Okay. Desperate prayers are birthed from people who are desperate to see God do something. 
So if you're desperate to see God do something, you'll pray desperate prayers. Does that make sense? Anybody ever heard of a man named Charles Finney? Wave at me if you have. Charles Finney was a leader in the Second Great Awakening, 1830s-ish, around that time. God used this man to do so much. Hundreds of thousands of people gave their lives to Jesus. He was up in the northeastern uh, part of the country. Well, Charles Finney attributes a lot of his ministry success to a man by the name of Father Nash. Anybody ever heard of Father Nash before? couple of us. Father Nash was a, a pastor up in New York, and uh, he read Isaiah 64. Oh, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? And he said, yo, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this, and I wonder if some of you are in that place right now. God, there's got to be more to this Christian thing. There's got to be more to this following you thing. So when he read that, he's like, the Bible says there's more, but I'm not seeing it out here. So he began to pray desperate prayers. Sure enough, God responded to his desperation, sent a great move of God, and people all around him got saved. And then what happened is the people in his church, the leaders of his church, they kicked him out of his church. Could you imagine a move of God happening and then kicking your pastor out? Isaiah said he will do things that you did not expect him to do. Fast forward, it happens again, happens to him twice. Then he says, you know what, I'm no longer going to have a ministry of preaching, I'm going to have a ministry of prayer. He connects with Charles Finney, so then what Charles Finney would do is he would send him to a city a week or two before he got there, Father Nash would go, he'd find some like-minded people, and they would pray heaven into that city. When Finney showed up a week or two later... He was standing behind a pulpit and be like, Jesus saves, and then the whole town gets saved. Come on. It was because somebody had done the work in prayer. And let me say this. It takes, doesn't, it takes more than one somebody. It takes two somebodies. It doesn't take 200 or 2,000 somebodies. It takes two of you in here to say, you know what? We're going to pray heaven in this place. We're going to change the atmosphere of this place. The Bible says if any two would touch and agree. Come on, my father in heaven would hear you and you pray in my name would give you. That was a really bad, that was like the Mike Balala translation. But that's Matthew 18. Go look it up. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on heaven will be loose on earth, right? It takes two people. If just two of you would get this desperation and to say, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to do this thing. I can't believe what God could do. You won't believe what God could do through your prayers. Say amen. That was a man of prayer. Let's talk about a woman of prayer. Isaiah, or 1 Samuel chapter 1, there's a woman by the name of Hannah. Hannah was desperate to see God do something. She, she wanted a, a child so badly, and year after year, the child never came. And then, there, make it even worse, the Bible says that her rival, Penina, would revoke her, uh, provoke her. Verse 7, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. That sounds like a desperate person, right? That sounds like somebody really, really desperate to me. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here, a small liberty. So let me just come down here so I'm not behind the pulpit. It says that she wept and would not eat. Don't tell me that you're not desperate if you haven't given up a meal for it. Come on. There's power in fasting. I think fasting needs to come back to the church. Fasting needs to be something that we do. I'm so grateful that pastor has a week set up for you guys. I know he challenged you to do one week. I want you to, one day of the week, I want to challenge you to do whatever is extravagant for you. If it's easy for you to do one day of the week, what's the extravagant act for Jesus? Is it getting here three times? Is it getting here every day? Is it getting here two times? What is that next step for you? Does that make sense? If you don't know what fasting is, come talk to pastor. He's going to help you do it. Very simply put, it's removing some of the fleshly things so we can have more of God. It's denying ourselves so the power of God on the inside of us can be shown even greater. Does that make sense? If you're desperate, you'll do what it takes. Verse 10 says, in her deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. 
desperate. And then you jump down, verse 12, as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli, who was the religious person of the, of the day, he, said, he observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Get this picture. This woman is, her rival provoked her. She's crying out. She's weeping. She's desperate. This is what the Bible is saying. And it says that her lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. That's a really good sign for some of you because some of you have disqualified yourself from being people of prayer because you're not loud like me. I'm Sicilian. Like, I'm just loud. I'm going to throw my hands around. That's what I'm going to do. Some of you aren't wired that way. Some of you have a much more calm demeanor. Some of you have a much more of an introverted kind of mindset about it. And some of you have probably said, you know what, I'm never going to be like that because you see people pray like me who are loud and do all that. Let me say this. Desperation does not equal volume. Come on, volume does not equal desperation. Come on, you can be desperate and not even make a single sound. It's proven right here. We need men and women of God who are desperate for a move of God. If you want a move of God in this church, it's got to start with you. If you want a move of God in this city, it's got to start with you. Are you desperate for a move of God today? Can you stand with me? I'm a few minutes over time here. I'm going to, good? Okay. Here's what I know. If you want the heavens to be rent, if you want God to split the heavens open, you better first have your heart split open. Joel chapter 2 is a pretty, pretty, cool, pretty cool prophecy. It's a prophecy of the Holy Spirit. Like that God would pour, it says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your young men will dream dreams and your young men or old men will prophesy. I think that was switched around a little bit there. But anyway, Joel 2, it says this. Even now declares the Lord... Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garment. Rend your heart to rend the heavens. If you want the heavens open in your life, you better open up your heart first to God. That, that's just the reality of it. You can't expect God to rend the heavens and come down if you haven't first opened up your heart to God and what he wants to do in this nation and your life. And, uh, you know, revival has a connotation to it, the, the R-E, the re, meaning it's bringing something back into alignment, something being revived. That means it was actually alive at one time, correct? So you can't have revival if you haven't first been awakened. You know, I started out today saying a Bible. The first Bible verse I quoted today was in Romans chapter 1. It says that the gospel is the power to save sinners. The gospel is not some words on a page. It's the power of God to give you new life. It's the power of God to make you alive maybe for the first time. So let me tell you quickly what the gospel is, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time around these altars praying together. The gospel is really simple. It's not just, again, words on a page. It's the power of God. The gospel is this, that God created you, and he created you perfectly. God didn't make a single mistake. God didn't make a single error with you. I know you think that God maybe messed you up a little bit here. I think that God made this eye a little bit too squinty, all right? But God don't make junk. The reality is God created you perfectly. He knows every hair on your head. While you were in your mother's womb, he knit you together. He knows you intimately and perfectly. He created you perfectly for one reason and one reason alone, to be in relationship with him. The Bible says that it's in him that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. You were created perfectly by a perfect God to be in perfect relationship with him. 
If God is so good and God is so perfect, why is there so much bad? Why is there war and disease and death and addiction? Why is there so much bad and brokenness if God is good and perfect? The answer is actually very simple. The answer is sin. Sin is not some long list of things that you and I can and cannot do. Sin, in its simplest definition, is anything outside of God's design for your life. You see, God created me, therefore God alone gets to define what is good, right, and perfect for my life, and it's the same for you. You didn't create yourself. God created you. So he gets to speak what is good, right, and true for your life. We're the generation of what? If it feels good, it must be good. We're the generation of speak your truth. Both of those things are, are false, just flat out false. God alone defines what is good for us. And every time we sin, do something out of God's perfect design for our life, it brings brokenness into this world. That's why there's death and addiction and abuse and trauma and all these horrible things. But let me just be real. Addiction and death and all that are not the worst areas of brokenness in our world. The worst area of brokenness in our world is our relationship with God. When I sin, my relationship with God is broken. Remember, you and I were created perfectly by a perfect God to be in perfect relationship with him. And every time we sin, it breaks that relationship. The Bible talks about sin this way. It says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, because God is good and God is perfect, he must punish sin. Could you imagine being robbed and standing before the judge and the judge just letting your robber go and say, oh, that was their truth? That would be a terrible judge, wouldn't it? In the same way, God being perfect, he cannot allow sin to not be dealt with and to not be judged. That's why it says the wages of sin is death. But how many know there's always good news with Jesus? That same verse that says the wages of sin is death goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I deserve death for my sin, but because of Jesus, I can have forgiveness and new and eternal life. So it's all about Jesus. So who's Jesus? Jesus is God. Jesus is the one who spoke the earth into existence. The Bible says that all things were created and all things are held together or sustained by him. He's the creator and the sustainer of this universe. He spoke the earth into existence while at the same time he gave up his right to speak when he was born as a baby. We just celebrated that a couple weeks ago, right? And then for 33 years, Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life. He never held a grudge against somebody. He was never halfway obedient. He lived a perfect life. He lived the life that I was called to live and that you were called to live and that neither one of us did. We don't have to look far to see our errors. We don't have to look far to see our faults. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All but one, Jesus. During his time on earth, he healed, he did many miracles, he taught, he claimed to be the son of God, and for that, the religious people of the day, they killed him. They hung him on a sinner's cross. He died the death that I deserve for my sin, that you deserve for your sin on that cross. Remember, the wages of sin is death. And then he was buried, and for three days, he was dead and buried, and on the third day, the power of God raised him from the dead. 
This is not some fairy tale. This is not some fable. This isn't something they're going to teach you in Greek mythology class. More than 500 eyewitness accounts would give testimony to the resurrected, living, walking, talking, breathing, eating, teaching, being touched, Jesus Christ. And when he rose from the dead, it proved this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. When he rose from the dead, it proved that you and I could have new and eternal life, that death was defeated, sin was defeated once and for all. So how do we go from dead in our sin to alive in Jesus Christ, to this awakening? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Not could be, should be, one day might, would be. No, you will be saved if you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do exactly that today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room and God has just been speaking to your heart and you know you're not in right relationship with God, you know that you've been doing things by your own design, you know that you need a fresh start, you know that you need forgiveness, or maybe at one time you had given your life to Jesus, but the, you know, the life's challenges and difficulties and pressures have kind of caused you to do things by your own design. You're living life by your own terms, and you're ready to come back home today and, and give your life back to Jesus and start fresh on the count of three. If you're in either one of those two categories, I just want you to throw your hand up in the air. I want to pray with you. We're not going to do anything weird. I just want to pray with you. So if that's you on the count of three, one, two, three, lift them high. Come on, lift them high making a decision here to follow Jesus or come back to Jesus. Amen. There's hands all around this room. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to give it just a couple more seconds because this is the most important part of our service right here. Come on, if you know you're not right with God, you're saying, hey, you know what? Man, I just need to be sure that I'm right with God. I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm surrendering it all. This is the greatest decision you'll ever make. So let's just do this as an Eastern family. Let's repeat this prayer together. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for living the life that I couldn't. And thank you for dying the death that I deserved. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me new. Raise me to new life as you were raised to new life. Place your spirit within me and help me to live for you from this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on. Hands were all around us. Can you give it up for those who responded? Amen. That's the best decision you'll ever make. That's not the end for you. That's just the beginning for you. So important that you come talk to pastor. your pastors here. They want to help you walk this thing out and know how to, know how to live for Jesus. It's not easy. We need each other to do that. So I want to do this right now, and then we're going to we're going to wrap up. I want to spend some time going after God with you all today. Come on, I talked about personal revival. I talked about living your life extravagantly for Jesus. And I talked about desperate prayers. I would never want to talk about desperate prayers and not pray some desperate prayers with you. How many of you are hungry for this move of God that I've been talking about? How many of you want this move of God? So if that's you and your hands up, I want you just to come. Begin to pray. If that's you, come on up. Come on, let's just pray. Let's go, spend some time going after the Lord. He's going to lead us in a song here. Come on, if you're hungry for a move of God, I'm going to be over here. I, I sense maybe somebody or multiple somebody would like to talk to me maybe about a little bit of my story. I'm going to be over here to pray with you on this side. But everybody else, I want you just to go after the presence of God right now. Could you lift your hands with me? Come on, lift your hands with me. 
Jesus, we bless your name. We bless you, God. You inhabit the praises of your people, God. You're holy, you're righteous, you're almighty, God. You're the beginning and the end, God. You're the alpha and the omega. You're so worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power forever, Lord. So you are worthy. Begin to move and to speak. Feel afresh. Feel for the first time, God. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Press in.